The ETF Edge podcast is sponsored by Invesco QQQ, supporting the innovators changing the world. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome to ETF Edge, the podcast. If you're looking to learn the latest insights on all things exchange-traded funds, you're in the right place. Every week, we're bringing you interviews, market analysis, breaking down what it all means for investors. I'm your host, Bob Pisani. Today on the show, the crypto craze heats up. We'll discuss the latest launches, including Schwab's first ever crypto ETF. Bitcoin may be rallying today, but it's still down 50% so far this year. Plus, we'll delve into a new Tesla-focused buffer ETF to learn more about how it can provide downside protection for such a volatile stock and why the SEC might have some concerns about these complex products. Here's my conversation with Bruce Bond, CEO of Innovator Capital Management, along with David Boxhead, head of equity product management and innovation at Schwab Asset Management. Bitcoin's down about 50% this year, a Bitcoin ETF. Who knows when that's going to happen? Uh, but several new crypto ETFs have launched, including yours. Why now well, with Bitcoin down 50% this year? You know, Bob, with, with the way Schwab Asset Management approaches our product development, we're, we're not trying to time the market. So not providing an indication or our thoughts on if we're at a bottom or another place with, with Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrencies and digital assets. It's more about responding to customers asking for exposure in this space and delivering a product that will stand the test of time and provide that access to them. Um, so that, that's really what, what drove us here. And it just it was happenstance that we, uh, we got to a timing of a launch where uh, crypto's where it's at today. Yeah, you know, there must be something in the air. Horizon Kinetics launched uh, a blockchain development ETF uh, last week, uh, an actively managed fund uh, that invest in companies uh, that benefit from digital assets. Uh, but I look at the main holdings here for the crypto thematic ETF. Uh, I see a lot of names that we know well in the crypto space. Uh, these, are, these are not Bitcoin, but companies, MicroStrategy, My- Marathon Digital. I see Riot Blockchain. Uh, I see Coinbase, Silvergate Capital, Robinhood, even interactive brokers. Uh, How is this particular thematic ETF different from other crypto thematic ETFs that are out there? Yeah, I think we we really look at our differentiation in two ways. One is on cost and one is on the index design. On the cost, we've launched the lowest cost uh, crypto-related product in the marketplace at 30 basis points. The other is about the exposure and the index design. And you're right in that the top names in the index and ultimately fund holdings are much the same across those products. But as you get beyond the top 10, our approach of combining the human insight with AI and, uh, and, and, and models to assess companies' uh, exposure to the crypto theme we think is differentiated. So you see a name like NCR Corp, which owns the largest network of Bitcoin ATMs, or Stonex, which is a company that provides institutional investors um, trading of, of crypto as well as custody services. Those are names that are really differentiated in the space. We have other examples in, in Japan and Europe that are in the fund. Uh, and we think that over time, that's a, that's a big differentiator for investors. Yeah, I think the, the problem here is it's still tough to get pure plays in any of this. Um, with any of these situations here, remember uh, with pot ETFs, for example, a few years ago, that was <laughs> impossible to get the kind of exposure people actually wanted. Uh, and when you wanted to do gaming years ago, you, you couldn't just say buy NVIDIA because NVIDIA had other products. And you're still limited by the amount of real pure plays that you have out there, aren't you? Isn't that, That's still an issue for you. 
It, it is, it, you know, and I think, Bob, as we, we look at whether it be crypto, any other theme, or, or frankly, uh, take it to, to another uh, approach. When you think about sectors, you think about today's sector products and sector exposures. Well, generally speaking, you say, I want a technology exposure, but you know, think how broad that exposure is in technology. I think what we are doing with our approach in defining a thematic beta um, is a way to systematically assess a company. Sometimes it's a great, a large exposure, sometimes it's smaller that will change over time. We think that especially those smaller companies as it has the potential to increase within their business, they may see a, be a larger benefit over time. You know, uh, last week uh, I, I thought about you because I know we we're gonna have you on. I saw BlackRock announced that it was teaming up with Coinbase. Uh, to offer Bitcoin to institutional clients. Now, right now, this seems to be only just Bitcoin, no other cryptocurrencies. But I'm wondering, yeah. that seemed fairly important to me. Are, are we seeing any broader acceptance of, of crypto? I mean, BlackRock wouldn't do this on a willy-nilly. I mean, what about Schwab clients? Are they asking for more crypto opportunities? And how do you handle something like that? It's still a very speculative investment. It is a very speculative investment. But we are seeing certain segments of Schwab investors that are seeking to provide, are seeking access to, to this asset category in their portfolios. So we're looking at ways in which we can do that. This is the first step in that. You know, will there be other ways? Potentially, but I think as part of that, we're also analyzing and thinking about what the regulatory environment looks like in the future. Uh, you know, you mentioned what happened with Coinbase and, and BlackRock. I do think that's a, a recognition that this market is maturing. You know, Bitcoin has been around for over a decade. And as it continues to mature and as other cryptocurrencies and digital assets continue to mature, I think we're going to see them be a, a larger part uh, of our economic uh, environment in the U.S. and globally. Like I said, I don't think BlackRock would do something. They're cautious. Yeah. They're, they're like Charles Schwab. They can't just yeah, exactly. go chasing fads if they think they're going to blow up on them. Right. They have they their own, do that. Yeah. just like Schwab. They have reputational risk yeah. uh, here, totally. too. That's I right. want to uh, turn to you. You've got a very interesting new product out as well. I've known you for many years, but this is a really interesting one. Yeah. You launched the Innovator Hedge Tesla strategy, yeah. which seeks to track the upside performance of Tesla to a cap. Now, explain how this works. Okay. It's not easy for investors to get their head around it. Yeah. We do have a full screen, but just yeah. explain how it works. Very simply, really the idea is a lot of people want to purchase Tesla. They want to be involved with Tesla, but they're worried about the volatility of Tesla, also the valuation of Tesla. You know, if, if Tesla was valued like Ford, people would lose 90% of their value right away. So we're saying for those people that want to get in, they want a long-term investment, this is how it works. You buy TSLH, hedge Tesla, you get basically 10% on the upside, and you have a 10% floor. Now, what a floor is, that's a max loss of 10%. So if Tesla goes down 20%, you lose 10%. If it goes down 50%, you lose 10%. And each quarter, that resets. So at the end of September, it will reset on the calendar quarter, each calendar quarter, and you get another whatever the upside is. We don't know exactly what it would be. Right now, it's 9.23% when we just launched it. Each quarter will be in that range, and then you have a downside of max loss of 10%. For, for example, let me tell you how somebody could use it. I had a big appreciated position in Tesla, up 800-some-odd percent over the last several years. I decided to take my position, roll it out into this. And now I only have really, I have a max loss of 10% in this. Now, I'm not gonna get as much upside, 
But we don't believe that Tesla's gonna have that kind of upside it has in the past. It's, it's a huge, think of it, it's, uh, it's not a trillion anymore, but it was one of five or six companies at a trillion dollars. They only sell one and a half percent of all the cars in the world. Yeah. Does that really make sense? Yeah. And, and what we're saying is, we're not so sure it does. We think a lot of people are concerned about it. There's a great way right. for you to stay so, with them. Two points here. Uh, first, this is essentially a collar. Trade, it seems to me yeah, like there's an, up, yeah. there's an upside. Now you're saying it was nine percent, but the way I put it up there was it was ten percent. So if, yeah. if in a quarterly basis, if Tesla's up twelve percent, you're only going to get ten percent. Exactly. Of the, of the 12%. exactly, you're only going to get up to the cap, and then you right. give the rest up. Right, and there's a downside protection here. So I, I think it's important to own. You don't actually own Tesla shares. You own Tesla options and treasuries, right? And that's how you get this. this that's mix. exactly right. That's how we give that position to people so that they can. You know, they can get exposure to Tesla, but without all the risk of Tesla. Yeah. So the other thing that people have a hard time getting their head around is this reset. Sure. And leverage and inverse for years, we keep telling people yeah. these things reset every day and people can't understand yeah. and get their head around what a reset means. This okay. is a quarterly reset. Yeah. So timing kind of makes a difference here, doesn't it? It does. It does. I would encourage people to go to our website and see where it's at because since we launched it, Tesla has moved up some. So you may only have about 5% left on the upside from here. But if you get in around the end of September, so when it resets. It's important for you to know when you're getting in, right? It is. You can't just say, I'm going to buy Tesla's going to in the middle of you know the quarter. In the that well, you, you can, but it's important for you to know what your outcome. You can find out your outcome any day. If you go to innovatorsetfs.com, go to the website, look up Tesla, it'll tell you, well, you have this much upside left and you have this much downside. Right. And so you can see every day what your exposure is and what your opportunity is. So this is. started, what was it, July 26th? Yeah. Right? And, yeah. and it resets at the end of September. Is yes. that right? It's a shorter period this first time because right. we're trying to get right. on the calendar quarter. So it was just two months, really, this first time. Right. But my point, I'm sorry to keep repeating this, but I know people were going to okay. get confused yeah. about this. Right. It's Great. really important to know when you're going in and buying it. Yes. Because if it's already, if Tesla's, if you're in the middle of the quarter and Tesla's already up 5%, yeah. you're, you've capped really another 5% gain, essentially. Well, the, the, so what has happened is Tesla is above the cap already, but the fund itself is only up about 4.5%. So you have another 5%. So let's say if Tesla doesn't move from where it is, the fund will, as the options expire, will go up to the cap. Yeah. All right. Uh, let me, I want to point out that Bruce has got some much broader products that are out there other than the Tesla yeah. one. I know yeah. we're dwelling on that. Uh, but last year, you launched a broader buffer product. The, the Innovator Defined Wealth Shield, this is B-A-L-T, bulk, right. uh, is a symbol. And it tracks the return of the S&P 500 to a cap. Very similar. Here's a full screen explaining it, but Bruce, again, just walk people through what you're yeah, getting. Yeah, so on Bolt, so Bolt, what it is, it's meant to allow people to get into the S&P 500 with very little downside, but exposure to the upside. So the way to think about it is you have a, it's quarterly again, so each quarter it resets. And Bob, to your point about the reset, remember, you don't have to do anything at the reset. The fund automatically resets and gives you a new cap and a new buffer in this instance. So Bolt is based on the S&P 500. It has a 20% buffer to the downside quarterly. So if the S&P goes down 21% during a quarter, you would lose 1%. Now, you get 2.5% of the upside quarterly. 
So it is very rare. Like if you look at first quarter this year, it didn't even go down. It was down like 15% or second quarter actually. So you didn't even get into the 20% this year, how volatile the market was. Now, why would you buy this? It's a pretty long-term put, a pretty far out put there. Well, it's just a quarterly. Decline. It's quarterly, but it's yeah. a 20% decline. It's a buffer. Yeah. And so the, the, why would you buy this? Why would you use this? Well, the reason there's been so much interest is people that don't want to buy bonds, they know rates are going up. They're pretty sure they're going to lose money. They would rather link their low-risk money to the equity market with a 20% buffer against losses. So you aren't going to lose in that first 20% and take this 2.5% or whatever the cap is on a quarterly basis. Remember, right. So, but if you're up 5% over the year. on the quarterly basis, if the S&P's up 5%, you're only going to get 2 points. You only get 2.5. Okay. So th there's a little bit of a, of, a, of, a, of a, 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 a call here just above the market. Exactly. A, and a pretty big put way below. Yeah, well, we have, to, we have a put spread at the bottom. We buy a put and sell a put. And then we have to actually sell a call at the top. That's what gets right. you your cap to to build the position. Right. It's a it's a so zero own, cost. It's all options. You own all it's options. It's all options. Yeah. And it's a zero cost position for people. So a lot of people are saying, hey, I'm going to take maybe half my or a quarter of my fixed income position and link that to the fixed income market, go for the 2.5% on the upside, link to the S&P 500 rather than just stay in the fixed income market. You know, I know these buffered ETFs have, uh, have gotten some assets, but they are difficult to understand. And, and the regulators have voiced alarm over these kinds of complex ETFs. Uh, folks, I've talked about this on the air. We've had Gary Gensler, the SEC chairman on. He yep. warned earlier, uh, they, these, he calls them complex products. They could pose risks even to sophisticated investors and could potentially create system-wide risks by operating in unanticipated ways when markets experience volatility or stress conditions. This is Gary Gensler. Um, what, what do you say? He's, Gensler is targeting, initially made comments on single stock ETFs, but this falls under what he calls these complex products what? that are difficult so to explain. This, this and they new are ruling growing. that came out, yeah, this new ruling that, that they came out, they asked questions for feedback. But remember, uh, you know, there were all kinds of ETFs, not even options-based or not mm -hmm. even daily, that were kind of encompassed in this thing. I mean, he called a lot of ETFs, <coughs> uh, you know, complex. And really, the, the important thing to remember, you know, when I started selling ETFs back at PowerShares way back in 2002, 2003, nobody knew even what an ETF was. ETFs were considered complex. And just because it's new does not mean it's complex. Sometimes it takes time to understand what it is in order to understand how it works, because I would just tell you that the buffers bring tremendous value, risk control value for thousands of investors now and advisors. And it's a great tool in the marketplace. Yeah. And I think FINRA is starting to realize that and the SEC is starting to realize that. And so just because it's new does yeah. not mean it's complex, but you do need to do your yeah. I and in investing, I say buyer beware. Yeah. Make sure you understand well, well, David, what you're investing uh, well, in. I, I know you're talking specifically about crypto here, but there's something that Gensler has made the same point about crypto. He's had concerns about it. He's obviously pushing back against a Bitcoin ETF, uh, and that's causing a lot of consternation in the Bitcoin community. Uh, but does Bruce have a point here? Just because it's new doesn't necessarily mean it's complex. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm just wondering what, how you deal with this issue, because obviously you want to continue to do 
financial innovation, provide products that the clients want, your clients want. Um, at the same time, what happens if this blows up and then all of a sudden we all have to stand around trying to explain why it blew up and gee, was that a good idea to begin with? How do you find that balance? Yeah, I think it is a, a, a tenuous balance at times. And, and Bruce and I have both been in the ETF market for, for, for a long, long time, longer than I would like to say. And it has been all about, I would say, two things. One is education. And that's education both for investors and our regulators. Um, it, that's so, so important. One, for investors, making sure they are understanding the products that we are putting in market before they are going out and making that a part of their portfolios. The second on regulators is having that open dialogue. When they've got questions to learn, we can be a source for them to learn. The other part that goes into it uh, for, for Schwab Asset Management is how do we test it internally ourselves? You know, we want to do a, a lot of due diligence, a lot of research, a lot of back testing to say, all right, in different market environments, before we bring a product, how is this going to perform? Where are the risks? What can we do to mitigate those risks to put in place a product that is that is really sound structurally for design for investors' portfolios? And, yeah. and it, you know, you look at MicroStrategy, you look at Coinbase. I mean, these things have had absolutely wild price swings. We always bring up Bitcoin. It's like, well, that's not such a great store of value. The thing's down two-thirds in, you know, a year. And yet we... we some of these underlying stocks that are associated with this, they, they've done the same thing. Some of the Kathy Wood stocks mm -hmm. not associated with crypto yeah. have done absolutely wild things yeah. in the last year where we sit around and say, well, OK, you know, you knew it was speculative. You knew not many of them were making any money or no money or losing money. And then we had a rising interest rate environment. Duh. We it. know what happens historically. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They took uh, care of it with this, David. So. You know, my, when I bring this up, I, I'm very neutral on the price of Bitcoin, but I do point out that we've had the same wild swings in some of the pure play products, equity products that underlie these things. Well, you know, and speaking of complex, too, you know, remember, they can buy all these individual stocks out there that they don't understand a lot about. Being able to have that in a portfolio that's at least diversified for them, I think, is a benefit to a lot of investors. Yeah. You were going to say something? That's exactly right. No, I was going to say that's exactly right. You know, so many investors will, will look and try to, to take that position through one or two stocks. And that just actually adds to the risks when you can do that through a diversified basket or as Bruce has done in, in providing some some caps on upside and downside. That can be a little bit more controlled and measured way to get that exposure for investors that they're looking for. You know, you two guys have been in uh, the ETF business a long time. I'm wondering if you have any uh, observations of what we're seeing this year. Where Bruce and I were talking earlier, David, and I, the thing that's remarkable to me is in a year where there was really serious ups and downs in the market, overall, there are still inflows into equity ETFs. They tend to be still the plain vanilla um, broad ETFs, the uh, S&P 500 type funds uh, that still continue to get slow but steady uh, inflows. Uh, Schwab, was, Schwab was fairly late to the ETF game, and yet you've been remarkably successful in gathering assets in a lot of it in simple, plain, vanilla formats. I'm wondering, you know, David, start with you. Um, what, do you see any overall trends in ETF that, that sort of stick out to you this year? Yeah, I think there, there's a couple things that stand out to me. Bob, you mentioned it, uh, broad-based equity exposure. Uh, it's happening in fixed income as well. And, and let me just pause on both of those for a moment. 
When you look at equity and that downside, I, I think what we saw was a lot of investors taking the opportunity after a significant equity bull market to reposition their portfolios. Uh, a lot of those investors likely coming from active strategies and moving into passive strategies where they had big gains that they, they didn't want to take that tax bite to move into lower cost options and they were able to do that during that downturn with equities. Similarly, in fixed income, we've seen huge fixed income flows uh, this year. And, and I think, again, it's repositioning of portfolios. You know, as we saw that inflation trade take up, take up and really uh, to, to grab on the, the attention of investors, we saw a lot of flows into tips as it seems like we may be, and you can debate on whether it's a harder or soft landing, you're starting to see some of that repositioning and fixed income occurring as well, looking at how do I want to really position my portfolio from a credit standpoint or an interest rate standpoint and getting very specific. And, and that's driving a lot of the fixed income ETF flows because you can get a little bit more granular uh, positioning than many uh, mutual funds have historically provided. I was really surprised, uh, apropos of what David was saying about yeah. inflows into bond funds in July. You think, my heavens, uh, you know, rates are going up eventually. Yeah. At least the Fed wants that to happen, yeah. and yet we're seeing it's inflows been amazing to watch bonds. It. Yeah, bond huge amount of flows. You know, and I think the reason it continues to grow. I know you're a big fan of Bogle. Yeah. And um, you know the the passive approach tends to continue to outperform the active approach. Even in this downturn, you know, they say, well, wait till the downturn, we're gonna outperform. And, you know, time and time again, we just don't see that. And I think you couple that with, I mean, we are huge believers in the ETF structure, the chassis to deliver, you know, most of the performance to investors, as well as defer your gains through time. Those two things coming together are going to continue to drive flows in that direction. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, you know, until we see the ETFs, I mean, the mutual funds really spin down quite a bit, you're going to continue to see that flow. Yeah, I have to agree with that. I, one of the reasons I'm such a backer of the ETF structure, other than the obvious thing of tax efficiency, and originally it was for indexing largely, uh, is just how innovative it's become. Mm -hmm. So you can pick up on whatever the new trend is. With, yeah. with pot ETFs and crypto eventually, and now you see more specialized product like single stock ETFs yeah. and buffered ETFs. Yeah. And, I may have differences of opinion with people about how how good these are for the general investors or how safe they are, but they, the main thing is to keep promoting financial innovation and yeah. products that enable financial yeah. innovation. Uh, and we may argue about how much guardrails you ought to put around them yeah. for the investor, yeah. but yeah. there's no doubt that ETFs are one of the great financial products of the last 50 of time. years, yeah, I think, one know, of the great innovations. I think, too, Bob, that, you know, the important thing is on complex products in this issue, it's very important not to shut down small firms who want to bring innovative products and to call, tell them and move them to the sideline. It's important to support them because they're new. We need to understand them. Are they doing something safe for investors? And then and let them go forward. Otherwise, you know, this innovation that's so great. Yeah. Yeah. We'll start to lose that in time because yeah. people won't be able to bring new ideas because of the rules that are put around it. David, I'll give you the last word. Yeah. What, what else is out there in, in, in Schwab's toolbox? What else? Uh, what, are you, what are you hearing from investors? Is there something out there on the horizon that, that you think, you know, the Schwab investors are, are looking for? What, what, what do you see? Yeah, yeah I, I think it, it's it getting to the heart of, of what Bruce and I are both talking about here is how do I continue to personalize my portfolio? with unique exposures like the Schwab crypto thematic or a buffered ETF? And how do I continue to reduce the cost of my portfolios to help me build wealth in my portfolio? 
because that's the one sure thing that, that can benefit a portfolio is reducing costs. Mm-hmm. I was hoping he's going to say new pot ETFs or something like that. Yeah. The, you know, but but yeah. I, I, knew, I wasn't expecting <laughs> yeah. you to say that. I don't that. think I'll he'll be doing that one anytime to see, soon. Yeah. See, that, see if I get a re- <laughs> yeah. reaction yeah. out of him. Now it's time to round out the conversation with some analysis and perspective to help you better understand ETFs. This is the Markets 102 portion of the podcast. Today we'll be continuing the conversation with Bruce Bond from Innovator Capital Management. And Bruce, we were talking about your buffer funds that are out there, which you started four years ago today. Today, today yeah. So congratulations. Thank now you. your main product, uh, which is BALT, B-A-L-T, uh, the defined wealth shield, uh, is a buffer product for the S&P 500. And you've attracted $8 billion in assets by all accounts. That's a successful ETF. But again, the problem I've had is just explaining this whole concept. But the basic idea is you're buffered against the first 20% of losses yeah. over well, a the way to, the way to th- So BALT is a newer product that we've got, Bob, that is more kind of a bond replacement, bond alternative. But if you look at just the buffers, okay, that we're talking about, these are S&P 500 buffers. And they're one year long, BALT is a qu- each quarter. These are one year long. So there's three different ones. You have a 9% buffer, a 15% buffer, and a 30% buffer. Now what does that mean? That means you can buy the S&P 500 right around the beginning of the month, and you're gonna have a 9% buffer against losses. And you're also gonna have a cap. Right now, the most recent cap was 23%. Most people are like, okay, I got 9% bar from the downside, which what a buffer is, it means if the S&P ends in one year, anywhere in that 9%, you're not going to lose any money, right? You're going to get your return back to zero, but you have 23% of the upside. So just think about where we are today. Market's sold off. It's kind of up, kind of down. Nobody really knows where it's going to be for in a year, right? I mean, is inflation going to dig in or what's going to happen? Now, you can buy that. If the market goes down 9%, you're going to outperform the market by the amount of the buffer if it's down more than 9 And if it goes up 23 you're going to get one for one on the upside all the way to 23%. So there's a lot of people that are saying, wow, yeah. I like that trade-off. Now, in, a, in, a tr- in a trendless to down market, this sounds very attractive. In a generally up market, maybe less so. Do you anticipate? Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, I, I mean, think, the inflows have been pretty good, but yeah. it's partly because people don't know what's going on, right? Yeah. I mean, what it is, is for, is for investors that are worried about the market. They don't know, is the market going to crash? Is it going to go up? This allows you to put guardrails on your investment. It says, yeah, you're not going to get above 23%. You're going to give that up. But for giving that up, we're going to be able to give you a 9% buffer, but you got to hold it over the year. And most investors, now, a young investor, Bob, maybe not. But if you have real money, you're retiring, you want to, they don't want, you know, most people in retirement, they don't want to have to make their money twice. They want to make their money once. They want to preserve that money. And so something like this is great for them. Even the 15 buffer, which gives you 17% of the upside, but you get a 15% buffer on the downside. A lot of people are opting for that. But then you have a 30% buffer. It gives you significant uh, yeah. on the I guess the problem so, with the downside, with even a 15% buffer on a quarterly basis, is if you have several consecutive quarters where you're down, you know, 10, 12%, this isn't going to save you. you. For example, if you're down 10% one quarter, 10% the next quarter. Yeah, well, now remember, these you are still have annual. A buffer. These are annual. This is an annual product. So it's 15% over a year on the S&P 500. So you have to hold it the whole year. 
If it's down f over 15%, let's say it was down 20%. But BALT resets quarterly. BALT resets quarterly, which is different than the main buffer suite that we have. BALT is more of a bond type uh, 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 risk profile. And then we have these other products that are really where a lot of the assets are going on the S&P 500. People are saying, like you said, most of the money is going into the same old S&P 500 funds. A lot of those people are saying, you know what? I don't want the risk of the S&P 500. There's too much risk for me. I'm going to buy a buffer, and I'm going to know I have a buffer of 9% on the downside, but I can get 23% of the upside. And that's what they're doing. People that, and this is a reset on a yearly basis. This is a yearly reset. So on January 1st, it's a reset. January, well, we have one. It comes each month. So, like, if you wanted to buy it at the first of next month, right. okay. you buy it then, and then one year later, it resets automatically for you. Gives you a new upside and a new downside. And this allows people to get into the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, the EFA, emerging markets, with much less downside risk to them. But having, and you know what the great thing is? What's the problem with investing? The problem for advisors with their clients primarily is setting expectations. It's hard to know what the market's going right. to do. So here you've got a defined expectation. So now you can look out there and say, look, if it's way up, we're not going to make it all. I mean, we wish we could, but we're not. But if it's down, guess what? We have this amount of buffer in there to provide a level of protection if the market's down. Right. And to provide this, I, I want to remind everyone, you're not actually owning S&P. You're owning right. options, right? You're owning options. So you're on a on a put, you're you're buying and selling a put at the same time. Uh, in, in it's like a yeah, it, it, we're we're buying. And then you're then you're selling an option. It's called a, a put option. spread, you know. Yeah. So we buy a put at zero and we sell one at nine percent, for example. So you're protected in that oh, range, okay. you know. And then, but that's not enough money to buy the S and P five hundred exposure on the upside. So we have to sell a call off to get enough money to buy that participation, and that's what where the cap comes in. So. It's, um, it's a really, to be honest with you, it's four options that we end up buying that we put in the package. And, you know, I mean, I've done, you know, 1,500 equity securities in an ETF before. This is a very simple yeah. portfolio yeah. to buy and to execute. Is, is there any concerns, as uh, Gensler, as Gary Gensler, the head of the SEC, has said, that somehow these products can be so complex that they could create problems in the market if they attract sufficient amounts of assets. Is this a realistic I, concern or? You know, we, we have ours only on the most liquid securities in the world. You know, the S&P 500 options mm. on the SPY options yeah. are super, super deep. I mean, it's the, it is the most liquid yeah. pool available. So I really don't see it. Oh. Um, I mean, I think that maybe he's concerned about some of these single name uh, exposures. Tesla, you know, we have the hedge Tesla. You know, people can get into Tesla without as much risk. And But Tesla has a huge pool of uh, option liquidity yeah. as well. So we, we, we are very careful about where we go. I guess, you know, I remember when those volatility products blew up a couple of years ago, yeah. several of them, and we had to come on for days. I had to explain what, what happened. What happened. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think the, the, the problem, I said this before, is it, in leverage and inverse ETFs are 2% of the volume, and they can be 98% of the problems in explaining to people yeah, what goes yeah, on. Yeah. And I think that's the concern, that those of us who, like you, have been around since the very beginning, when these were uh, original, very sort of pure products, right, largely right, indexed right, products, right. Um, now see them getting more and uh, more, uh, you can say innovative, but also providing 
more complex products. Yeah, they're getting pretty sophisticated, some of yeah. them, and, and, right, and they are. And you know, when Innovator, when we were getting started again, you know, we were looking to get uh, into the ETF business, but we weren't gonna just go in and do everything. We were saying, what could we do that would really bring value? You know, we don't wanna just do the same thing. What are we gonna do, just, uh, you know, a cannabis ETF or a crypto ETF or a meme ETF or, you know, we don't wanna just play on these sidelines of these, you know, niche little products that might be big one day and gone the next. We wanted to bring something you know, at the heart of investing for investors. And we believe that the buffer ETFs are real tools. Are they, do you need to know how to use them to invest? Absolutely, you need to understand them. And, um, but we think they're worth understanding. And we think in time, they'll be like a municipal bond or, or you know, a treasury or, or whatever. You know, uh, a treasury, when you buy it at the beginning, you know what it is. But if you buy a treasury in the middle, well, you got to figure out the yield. you got to know what you're buying. It's the same type of thing, you know. Um, and, and I think I mentioned to you before, new does not necessarily mean complex. Yeah. In yeah. time, people will look back on the buffers, I believe, and be like, right. no. Okay. The other great thing about this product is just the simplicity of it in that it's a complex product, but it's simple for you to buy. Yeah. So if you were to do, go out and do this yourself and try to replicate it yourself, you'd be buying, as you said, four, four option options. products. And good luck keeping track of all well, of that. Well, and you know, you couldn't do it as inexpensively because it's done at the institutional level. Yeah, and what is the uh, fee? The, uh, 79 basis 79, points. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You cannot, it, this type of exposure was typically only available through private banks for their high net worth individuals. And most people couldn't get in on these types of opportunities. Now you have access to these types of investments. Yeah, it's a fascinating subject, and uh, this is sort of the year of complex products. We'll see how they evolve and see what Gary Gensler has to say about them. Bruce Bond, always a pleasure to see you. I've known you for many, many years. Yeah. I knew you when you, you were power chairs <laughs> yeah, exactly. many, many years ago. Yeah. That was uh, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. Uh, and it's great to see you, uh, you staying me. in the business. Thank you very much. Bruce Bond, folks, is the CEO of Innovator Capital Management. And thank you for joining us on the ETF Edge podcast. Invesco QQQ believes new innovations create new opportunities. Become an agent of innovation. Invesco QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc.